Hello, welcome to GM Crypto with the Coin Fund team. We've spent years as a multi-strategy investment firm focused on blockchain. So join us to unpack complex ecosystem trends and hear from the founders shaping the future of Web3. Please subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Twitter at CoinFund underscore IO. Please note that none of the following should be taken as investment advice. See coinfund.io slash disclaimers for more important information. Hello, everyone, and welcome to GM Crypto. I'm Kelsey, and today we have Evan with us, one of our partners here at CoinFund. We have a lot to go over today since there's been so much going on, but I want to kick things off with talking about the bipartisan bill, which I'm being seen that is being called the most comprehensive cryptocurrency legislation to date. Evan, can you get into a little bit of what that is and what that means for the cryptocurrency ecosystem? Thanks, Kelsey, and really great to be back on the show. For viewers that are listening in, we're actually recording this the morning of June 7th. So this is when the Wall Street Journal had a front page article talking about Senators Lummis and Gillibrand about to introduce a bill dubbed the Responsible Financial Innovation Act. And this is more of a quick take as we look to dive in. The idea is this is a bill that potentially clarifies some of the jurisdictional conflict that we've seen between the CFTC and the SEC with the goal of creating ultimately brighter line rules that make it easier for entrepreneurs and builders within crypto to know which rules and regulations they need to stay on top of to minimize their regulatory risk. The initial reaction that I had looking at this and thinking through some of the meetings that other members of the CoinFund team, including Chris Perkins, have had in DC to date is definitely a right step forward in the right direction. But I think the investor hat that I wear has me wanting to manage the market's expectations. I think symbolically, obviously very important, especially in terms of the bipartisan support from both Democrats and Republicans that are starting to, they are continuing to get up to speed on the educational processes and understanding blockchain, but I think we still have a lot of road to cover between earlier implementations and ultimately what we think regulations need to be to fully accelerate and incentivize jobs creation and ultimately keeping innovation as much within the United States borders and economy as possible. Yeah, I agree, Evan. And I think one interesting aspect that I saw about this as well is there striving to create very clear definitions for virtual currencies, stable coins, smart contracts, digital assets that will hopefully help your more everyday consumer understand and feel more comfortable and confident with engaging in the ecosystem with the technology. So I'm also pretty excited that I saw it in a few articles mentioned that they've reached out to various members of the Web3 and crypto community. And like you mentioned, Chris has been engaging down in DC with the FDX proposal as well. And it's just sort of, I think it's an exciting move forward and I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next there. And I know we have a lot of other updates to get into, Evan, since you've had a very, very busy past couple of weeks. We'd love to hear your take on liquid markets and get a quick update over there. Yeah, so on the liquid market side, I think we continue to see Bitcoin as the fair weather canary in the coal mine essentially being range bound. I think that's really driven by the still uncertain macro climate in the traditional financial markets. This is also the morning where we saw 
target, give mixed guidance in the stock trade off in the pre-market. And I think that's generally indicative of overall a mix of inflation and recession concerns, and specifically, I think, uncertainty around how the Fed will maybe thread the needle successfully or unsuccessfully, depending on which side of the market you're in. But I think that lack of clarity continues to weigh on fundamentals within crypto being able to inflect positively and help break us out of the current price trend. Something that we're looking for within CoinFund is ultimately progress or even upside or or downside surprise with respect to the ETH merge, which still remains the largest idiosyncratic narrative within the majors in, in crypto world. I think specifically the market expectation is probably around a late Q3 or early Q4 completion of the merge, depending on how you define that. People have slightly different views around whether that means the difficulty bomb or the subsequent merge a couple of weeks after that. But ultimately, I think we agree with how market participants are viewing that event as the next big catalyst to watch for. Something that our team has been talking about is assuming that is successful. And if it takes place when the market expects, how soon prior to that could we expect maybe positive sentiment to return as opposed to the current, I think, apathy. I believe people are still hiding under their desks. Some folks have taken advantage of the slower summer months to maybe step back and look to re-engage around Labor Day or prior. That's actually a trend that is consistent with my experience from traditional finance. But what we're doing at CoinFund is actually taking the opportunity in the next month or two to find differentiated stories that would play well and are lined up to take advantage of potentially improving sentiment once Labor Day is back. Ideally, we want to be a little bit ahead of the market, not too ahead of the market. So we are continuing to conduct fundamental diligence and looking for the names that may outperform in a world where we are able to see Ethereum de-risk and successfully complete the merge. Yeah, thanks, Evan. And before we hop into the venture market update, could you share with our audience a little bit more around what the ETH merge is for folks that are a little more unfamiliar? Absolutely. So to recap, the ETH merge is really just a synonym for the much anticipated transition of the Ethereum network from the current proof of work instantiation to proof of stake. I will keep things pretty high level in the interest of being accessible, but ultimately it comprises of a lot of interim steps that people that are closer to the Ethereum developer ecosystem, including our research team, have been keeping tabs on for several years now. So I think the way that I conceptualize the merge is the culmination of the transition to the next phase of Ethereum. And specifically related to even the regulatory topic that we discussed earlier, I believe the transition to proof of stake helps argue against some of the wasteful energy narratives that have hurt a lot of the proof-of-work blockchains to date, including Bitcoin and Ethereum. So in a world where Ethereum is operating on a more efficient from an energy perspective proof-of-stake consensus model, that already helps us transition the discussion to some of the more interesting technologies that are being built for a post-proof-of-stake Ethereum. So some of the topics that our research team has been spending time on include the future of zero-knowledge rollups and what that means both from a provability and auditability perspective, which supports some of the security innovations that are being built for 
ETH 2.0 and beyond. And in addition to that, I think some of the natural existing scaling solutions as well, beyond just zero-knowledge-based rollups, some of the optimistic rollups that will continue to be compatible in a proof-of-stake ETH world. Those are all interesting dynamics because ultimately what we as investors are most excited about remains the perspective influx of incremental users. I think as investors, we don't just necessarily want to fund entrepreneurs that are building for the sake of pioneering technology, but we are more excited about the application of those technologies towards brand new use cases and economic models and ultimately creating new value as we shift more and more of the economy to the Web3 world. Yeah, I completely agree, Evan. I think it's a change that feels much more environmentally friendly and can lead the greater kind of community to focus on the specific projects and shift the narrative in a really positive way. So thanks for that rundown. I think we'll have to have another conversation around zero-knowledge roll-ups and optimistic roll-ups in the future. But while we have a few more minutes, let's hear the venture market update from you. Absolutely. So the real quick update is we are starting to see a little bit of softening in the venture market, meaning founders are either choosing to have their rounds take longer to complete or even being more amenable to valuation discounts relative to maybe the highs that we were seeing three to six months ago. I think that was our expectation as we were seeing liquid markets being soft earlier in the year, but now we are actually seeing that trickle down to the private markets as well. From the coin fund perspective, we're actually, I would say we are both enthused to see opportunities to fund newer companies at more reasonable valuations, but also able to demonstrate our value add to our existing portfolio companies and helping advise them in thinking through the puts and takes of seeking new capital and subsequent raises in a market like this versus some of the more operational value add pieces of advice and with respect to fine-tuning their token economics or thinking through their headcount growth plans as it relates to their burn and even how to market both their product as well as market themselves as an investment to prospective future sources of capital. So I would say it's a market that is harder to just invest in everything and hope it all goes up. But I think it's a market where we continue to believe there's differentiation from the perspective of funds like ourselves, but also from the perspective of helping our portcos differentiate themselves as they continue to come to market. Last point I'll note that's interesting is within the venture market, I'm definitely seeing bifurcation in quality between, I would say, the better projects that are more differentiated in their product that are seeking an addressable market that is less penetrated or the startups that have more defensible moats, whether in the user base or the technology suite or the code base that has been developed. I think where startups are having a bit more trouble fundraising are ones where they may have started building earlier during a bull market, but may not have been as thoughtful in the product design or the ability to build an organic community. And I think the more average or below average products and teams are having some trouble in a market like this, especially if they may have not managed their treasuries effectively from a previous raise and now find themselves in a situation where they do need the capital, but are not finding as much investors that are indifferent as opposed to investors that are able to 
hold out for the higher quality projects and, and may avoid the ones that are not as strong on some of the fundamental metrics that we talked about. Overall, the conclusion is for CoinFund, it is very much business as usual on the investment team side. We are continuing to be really active, going to conferences, conducting diligence from the top of the funnel to the deals that are in the negotiation and execution phase. But would just generally say for founders, ideally, if you're in a position where you don't have to raise, you want to be heads down and building. There's no time like a bear market to refine a product. I think startups that have some capital are actually finding it easier to compete in the talent market for devs that may be wanting to find a home that is more stable and solving a more interesting problem. So definitely puts and takes, but overall, nothing that is out of the ordinary when we think about the prior market cycles. Yeah. And I feel like we've seen similar trends as well, specifically when it comes to gaming with increased focus on game design and some interesting solutions. Could you give us a quick take on that as well? Yeah, absolutely. This is where I would characterize the market within Web3 gaming as going through a washout, meaning we are very publicly seeing the split between the more successful and durable games versus those that have come to market, maybe prioritizing a token launch first and hoping to solve any gameplay or microeconomic system imbalance issues on the fly. I think we're seeing investors become a little bit more cautious and dialing back their risk appetite for the games that maybe have overpromised some of their roadmap versus the gameplay that they have been able to deliver. Something that is interesting is going to the point that I mentioned earlier about bifurcation and quality. We have been seeing that games that are more thoughtful and maybe proactive and thinking about their economic design are using tools like machinations.io, which we're not affiliated with, nor are we investors in this, just a, a tool that we've heard some game devs utilize to better test some of the edge cases with respect to that platform's ability to use Monte Carlo simulations and not only test the historical game design from the closed loop perspective, but also now start to incorporate more open marketplaces, the ability for tokens to trade and how that impact an average player's journey. I think that's probably where the future uh, success-based scenarios will emerge, meaning games that are really trying to think through all permutations before coming to market, as opposed to just launching a token with the idea that the token will be able to bootstrap organic growth. I continue to think that the winners in the long term, meaning the next game that is able to grow past 5 or 10 million monthly active users, has to be really buttoned up from day one and thoughtful about all of the design challenges, which is ultimately harder right, than creating a game in Web2. But I continue to say that the opportunity remains large and I would say is growing even more so. As we're recording this, a really prominent failure within the incumbent game publisher and studio ecosystem is Diablo Immortal, which has had a lot of pushback from players that are rightly calling out the very extractive monetization system. I think there are some headlines about if you want to have the best endgame gear in that game, you need to spend $110,000 or more, which is obviously, it's not a monetization model that is playing for sustained 
community growth, but rather optimizing for harvesting the whales as much as possible. So I think that example actually underlines the need for Web3 enabled games to continue to try to figure out all of these different challenges and ultimately arrive at a value, a creative kind of positive sum set of systems, which are very complex to design. And I don't think anything that's out there yet has figured it out, but we are continuing to be hopeful that in the future, Web3 as a tool in the toolkit for game devs becomes something that is increasingly vital and not just tangential. Absolutely. And we'll continue to revisit the gaming space on the show as well, because not only is it one of my favorite topics, I think it's a really, really unique way to look at how design and consumer-facing projects and applications really need to evolve to capture that wider audience. But thank you so much, Evan. Any final thoughts before we close out today? In closing, I would say we are completely unchanged in terms of our long-term optimism about the applicability of the technology. I think whenever markets go through air pockets, the investors that end up in the future being successful are the ones that remain heads down and continue to look for opportunities within their mandate. So for CoinFund, that's the same mix of liquid and venture investments based on fundamental bottom-up analysis, as well as obviously the top-down kind of market and thesis driven by industry development that we continue to do. So the same advice that we give our founders is the same advice that we're looking to do and continue doing within the investment research team. Exactly. And it's not our first time experiencing challenging market conditions since we were founded in 2015. Lots of ups and downs since then. But Evan, appreciate your time. And we'll have you on again soon to dive into gaming and updates as well. Have a great day. All right. Yeah. Thanks again. Always a pleasure. 